Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hi, Katie. Hi, Brian. And hello, everyone. Again, from London. When I visit the city, which is one of my favorites, by the way, I always feel like Lindsay Lohan's character or characters in The Parent Trap. Remember when she drives around London soaking in all the sights and sounds? It's so great. I love that movie. And of course, you're always compared to Lindsay Lohan. But anyway, (laughs) now that you mention it, The Parent Trap is actually on theme with today's show, and not just because it's set in London. It's also about a divorced couple and their tug of war over their kids. That's right. It does have a Wonderfully happy ending, but we won't get into that. But messy relationships. Those are today's guests, Bread and Butter. Sharon Horgan is a British writer, actor, and producer whose body of work has covered everything from dating and not being sure about getting married to trying to make a marriage work to, yes, D-I-V-O-R-C-E, which, by the way, is the name of Sharon's series for HBO which stars Sarah Jessica Parker and Thomas Hayden Church. I guess you have to have three names to be on that show. (laughs) And in the last dozen years, Sharon has written or co-written no fewer than four UK TV series and acted in even more. Her breakthrough show was a dark comedy series on the BBC called Pulling. And for those of you who do not know uh, and get your minds out of the gutter, (laughs) Pulling is a bit of British slang, and we had Sharon explain what it means. And stay tuned for that, because it is a bit saucy. (laughs) More recently, Sharon has been co-starring and writing the Amazon series Catastrophe, which is about to launch its fourth season. And Sharon met Rob Delaney, her Catastrophe co-star and co-creator, on Twitter. How very 21st century of them. That shows all about a sexy fling that resulted in a row pregnancy and a new couple 
trying to make a life together, getting things a bit out of order. <laughs> That's not even to mention yet another current TV show of Sharon's, Motherland, and she does really make me feel lazy, Katie. Well, I think compared to Sharon, we're both kind of lazy, Brian. Yeah, particularly me. What are we going to do? Anyway, we were super psyched to have, that's what they say over here in Britain, isn't it? Super psyched to Among have Sharon girls, yeah. come and do our podcast here in London, especially after a long day of filming. And we talked about all kinds of things, her various TV shows, her childhood, and why she got into acting, her friendship with the late, great Carrie Fisher. We also talked about the vote, the recent vote in Ireland, the Me Too movement, and your favorite subject, Brian. Brexit! Okay, Sharon Horgan, we're so happy to have you here. We're here in London, and we're interviewing you. So life is good for us, but perhaps not as good for you, because you've been filming all day long. You're probably exhausted and about ready to kill us. Um, No, I mean, I'm not going to kill you. It's a a pleasure to be here. I'm just, like, worried that I'm brain dead. I mean, also, I'm in trouble with my eldest daughter because I'm supposed to be at home. But that aside, I'm more worried about just you know, my fatigue, making your show not interesting. Well, I'm worried about your (laughs) eldest daughter, and please extend her my apologies to her. So so you make me feel like such a loser. You're doing three TV shows at at the same time. You're starring in one, writing and producing two others. You were just in Game Night, so obviously you're doing some film as well. You're running a production company with your female partner. Well, your partner, not your female yes, partner. Yes. You're, you're not married to your production company partner. Um, <laughs> so are, are you... Now when people say partner, I'm always like, wait, yeah. what? But um, are you loving life? Are you really stressed out? What is your state of mind these days, Sharon? I mean, it, it kind of um, changes day to day, really. Like yesterday, I hated my life. And uh, <laughs> today, you know, it's all right. Um, it's, yeah, it's a bit busy at the moment um, because of our production company. And, you know, there's a few things sort of moving at the one time. But that always happens, doesn't it? I mean, that when just it rains, happens. Pours, exactly. right? So, and I still have that slight thing of... Um, because I got my break kind of late in life, I'm still like, you know, you've got to when, t- yeah, strike while the iron's yeah, hot. Yeah, exactly, thing. and it's it's ridiculous. I should just take some time off. I just be, you know, like a normal person would. On, but on the other hand, it's kind of an unpredictable business. And when you're hot, you're hot, sister. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's the problem. That's my she's conveying that's my a lot mindset. of enthusiasm here. <laughs> that is the problem. But um, yeah, but I mean, most of the time, I just I feel pretty lucky because I enjoy my job, like it's hard work, but, you know, it's got lots of um, plus sides. And the good news is things are going really, really well. I mean, all kidding aside, you're in demand, you're doing great work, you're doing, I'm sure, what you dreamt that you could do one day. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So take a moment and soak that in. I will. I mean, people keep telling me to do that. And really nice women, actually, (laughs) keep telling me to do that because they sort of notice it more than anyone else, like just... Go and, like, you know, have a burger or, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Rob and I, um, when we first started writing um, Catastrophe, we planned constantly that at some point when we we finished writing, like, whatever it was, the first series at that point, just, like, we should just go. We should just go and have lunch, you know. (laughs) And there's never just been a moment. We're all, like, always just, like, you know, last-minute writing. It's always, like, a crazy kick bollocks scramble and then you know then there's no time for lunch so speaking of catastrophe uh-huh. um of which i'm a big fan thank you 
Uh, the name comes from Zorba the Greek, as uh-huh. I've learned. So yeah. uh, tell us about that quote. <laughs> I'm uh, married. Um, God, what is the quote again? Oh, I'm we married. can look it up. I have a wife, kids, house, the whole catastrophe. Yeah, it's something so like that. that's what it was about. I, I, it, was, it was to, I mean, we love the idea of, you know, terrible things happening to regular people and those people kind of finding a way out of it, you know. Um, but also we like the idea that just marriage is a catastrophe just as an, as an idea, you know. Um, so yeah, we just, I don't know, Rob came up with it and we just, we, it was one of those things like everyone will tell you that the title they give something, it's a working title until you think <laughs> of something better. I mean, everything I've ever written is like, that'll do for now. And then you're like, oh God, and then, you know, you go with it. Well, it does kind of say it all. And before we talk about the premise of the show, which is so funny and so great, let's talk about Rob Delaney for a second, because you all met on Twitter, mm-hmm. which to me strikes me as so funny, although I'm starting to get get to know people on Instagram and Twitter and sometimes I DM people yeah, and it's great. you know people tell me things on these social media platforms and then I start talking to them and yeah, developing a relationship. How did it happen with you and Rob? It was kind of like that really. Um but he he'd started um getting a lot of interest in in the UK um just because he's he's so funny. Like he's always done these amazing um one-liners and he you know he's kind of gross and <laughs> I mean the stuff he says not not him and um so I, I started following him and uh and I noticed he was following me. And at that point, when I joined Twitter, I'd had a show on the BBC called Pulling, and he'd somehow watched it um, in in the US. And so he got in touch with me just to say that he enjoyed the show. And and I was like, "Well, you're great as well. I like." Sounds you. like you had a little Twitter flirtation. <laughs> Not really, <laughs> but you know, he was his, his picture on Twitter. He's on a beach in green speedos. So yeah, okay. There was a little. <laughs> and who could resist an, that? An element of that. I thought he looked like Buck Rogers. <laughs> and so yeah, a few of us were like, "Oh my god, uh, who's this guy?" And uh, and then I uh, when I when I went to the um, US to work, I'd go and see him do stand up, and we sort of kind of became friendly and. You know, we sort of planned to work together on something. And then he, um, the BBC originally offered him, you know, a sort of script deal. And he was like, I've never written a sitcom before. Will you write with me? And and uh, the rest yeah. is history, well, as they yeah. say. I mean, you never know how these things are going to go. I mean, and definitely, and we always say it, we, we literally never expected it to go beyond writing something for fun, you know, and it would get turned down. And then, but um, yeah, it, it, it sort of, it worked out and... Yeah, series four, season four. No, you're shooting now. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and for people who don't love the show, like Brian and I do, or maybe or haven't discovered it yet, tell us quickly the premise. Um, well, I mean, the premise really is um, is is their partnership, is, is the marriage. I mean, I guess the the very genesis of it is them meeting. Um, you know, he, they meet, they have this wonderful sort of six days in London, he gets her pregnant and they decide to just have a go, you know, because of their ages and situations and they like each other. I mean, they do like, there's definitely, you know, in the first episode, you can sort of see that there's something there. And, uh, so yeah. They, but it's they unexpected. Have, yeah. The pregnancy is a complete shock. Oh yeah. I mean, it's kind of slightly based on my life situation a little in that I got pregnant very quickly with, 
you know, a, a man's baby. <laughs> a man's baby. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we just decided to, to have a go and, you know, we're, we're still together. But, um, yeah, we just we just liked the idea of writing about a real marriage and, and really genuinely making it as warts and all as possible. And uh, when the kids come along, we didn't want to write about... Um, what it's like to be a parent. We kind of wanted to write about what it's like to continue to have a relationship whilst being a parent, you know. So it's never been about the kids. It's always been about them. I mean, I think we've given the kid one line in four years. (laughs) The genesis, as you mentioned, is based on this unexpected pregnancy. Here is a clip from the show. Let's take a listen. You just don't think that stuff like this will happen. What, the repeated sexual intercourse between... Two healthy adults will do the exact thing it's supposed to do. Have you ever done a science class? You know how to read? I'm sorry. I'm not pregnant, and you are, and it's because of me. But if you're going to have this baby, then... Who says I'm going to have it? Well, how old are you? (laughs) Look, the good news is, is that we're reasonably good people, so we could probably do this and not fuck the kid up too horribly. I'm just saying a terrible thing has happened. Let's make the best of it. So where are you staying? I'm joking. I'm going to stay in my spare room. I'm joking. I'm a teacher. I don't have a spare room. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much of this show if not ripped from the headlines, is ripped from the pages of your actual life. And we'll get to your other shows and how they're ripped from the pages of your life as well. <laughs> but um, is it true that nothing from the show is really made up, that it either happened to Rob or to you in some form? I think we said um, in the first series that we made up some ridiculous figure, like, you know, 47% of it um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we is real that. life. Yeah. I mean, there, there there was a bunch of stuff in the first series that was pulled from our lives and, you know, bigger ideas and small plot lines and, you know, tiny little detail. I mean, we, we were kind of stealing. But um, but as it's gone on, it's kind of become less and less because we know the characters more and we know, you know, what they would do as opposed to what, you know, we would do. So, and it's, um, yeah, it's been an interesting process in that way. I mean, there'll still always be stuff that's real in there because we both, you know, we arrive into the writer's room having just come from our lives and it's very hard to leave that behind when you're writing a a show that's, you know, has um, similarities. And also the cadence, I would assume, sort of of the dialogue and the way you talk. I mean, even sort of that last line when you were making the joke about being a teacher. (laughs) I mean, I would imagine we're not friends, but that's probably something you would (laughs) <laughs> kind of riff with riff on with your friends or with your husband. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we both. Um, yeah, when we, when we walk into the writers' room, we really do just start writing down what each other are, are saying. You know, before we've even kind of worked out any bigger sort of <laughs> plot lines and stuff. That that kind of, I think, yes, how you how you speak and and how you say things, um, sort of, yeah, definitely comes into it a lot. Jeremy Rainbird, your husband, who has the best name ever, by the way. He sounds like a super action figure or something. <laughs> he does. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is he's home taking care of the girls right now. So Yeah, that is true. Yeah, so so when he when he watches this, does he ever say, Honey, uh really? 
Um, no, I mean, only in that, you know, he kind of wishes that I dealt with my real life problems the way, you know, my character deals with them in the show. I mean, she's like a kind of more emotionally developed version of, of me, you know. Like she has those feelings and says those things, but then kind of works through them and comes out the other side. I mean, I just kind of feel them and then just sort of store them up like a horrible kind of bubbling uh, cancer. I, I <laughs> read then, that you're not a good talker. No, I mean... That's unusual because usually the woman, all she wants to do is talk and the guy won't. Yeah. And in your case, you you kind of keep things bottled up. Yeah, yeah. That's just uh, that's just the way I've chosen to do it, Katie. <laughs> so, you might have thought this was an interview. It's actually a therapy session. We have Would a you couch like to lie there. down? <laughs> I have a little paper towel uh, for your head and a little chain. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why it is. That is just, it, it, it is how it is. <laughs> I You know, my upbringing or something, I don't know. Oh, but, um, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. when, you, when you embarked on this journey, Sharon, were you writing, or I guess because you and Rob wrote this together. Mm -hmm. So were you cognizant of making it appealing for both sort of both sides of the pond, if you will? Were you writing for an American audience, a British audience, just any old audience you could get? (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess to a certain extent, it was any old audience because, you know, at the the time we, you know, we had no idea where it was going to go, what was going to happen. But um, once we got beyond the pilot, yeah, we definitely, we definitely had one eye on on both camps. And, you know, there's, there's jokes that don't kind of go in if we feel like they won't translate. Right. Um, So, yeah, and also, you know, how we chose to cast it and, you know, making sure he had an American buddy in London and, you know, getting Carrie. And we we definitely wanted to feel like there was recognisable characters to a US and a UK audience. And, you know, not that you always need that. I mean, I think if, you know, stories have got a kind of truth in them, you know, anyone will kind of get it. But definitely now we kind of have an eye on both. And you just mentioned Carrie Fisher, who Mm. played your sort of evil mother-in-law on the show. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Evil (laughs) mother-in-law. And and, and it's extraordinary. I mean, you had dinner with her here in London the night before she died. Mm. You wrote a very moving tribute to her in The Hollywood Reporter. Um, What made her such a complete original? Why, why, Why did you... Um, why were you so attracted to her? Well, we um, we went to this um, awards do where she was giving an award to Graham Norton, actually. And we weren't expecting her to be there. We were just in the audience and, and she got up and she did this speech. And, you know, like any Carrie Fisher speech, it was kind of everything. It was, you know, irreverent and naughty and brave and very funny and... Uh, I think that was it. I think we did. We just looked up at her and went, "That's um, that's your mum there, Rob." And uh, we just never thought for a second she'd say yes, but she did. And uh, why we we chose her is because she is that unique person that you're talking about. You know, I mean, she was a, a complex individual, and um, but mainly. I think it's very, very difficult to grow up in that sort of very Hollywood um, lifestyle. And I mean, apart from that, I think it was difficult, obviously, being Princess Leia, being such a, so hugely famous that it kind of almost kind of surpassed everything else. But she still, you know, she just had a very sort of wry 
kind of point of view on all that. I mean, she talked about it a lot and she talked about her family a lot and she was very open. She was a really good talker, obviously. You could listen to her all night. And we were just desperate to get to know her from the minute she showed up. But it wasn't until the third season that, I don't know, it was just weird. We just sort of clicked, you know. She just started messaging me and I was like, you know, (laughs) I was absolutely thrilled and we just started hanging out. She came to my house in Hackney and went for dinner and just like talked a lot, laughed a lot. And uh, yeah, it was just horribly tragic because, I mean, that night we had dinner, there was... You know, I mean, she she'd like health troubles and stuff. You know, of, of course, but it just didn't it didn't seem like someone who she seemed like someone who had a lot of plans. You know, she had a lot more to give, and she also she loved acting. You know, I, that was the thing I really sort of learned about her. She really um she really wanted to do more, and it kind of bothered her that she didn't kind of get the opportunities that she would have liked to have to have gotten, and um. But yeah, we we genuinely felt enormously blessed and lucky to have her for that short time. I mean, what a ridiculous privilege. I was going to say, it sounds like you all became actually really, really good friends. Yeah. And so it must have been surreal, Sharon, for you to spend this time with her, you know, having so much fun the night before and then hearing the news yeah. that this had happened. Uh, it must have been such a shock. Do you remember when you heard that and how you were able to process it? Yeah, I absolutely remember because I was having um, a Christmas drinks party in my house and uh, my daughter came running down from upstairs because, you know, obviously she's a teenager and on social media all the time. And they came running into the kitchen and and told me and... Um, yeah, well, I just had to leave my own party. <laughs> and um, I went upstairs and I start, that's when I started writing that article because I thought, if I don't write down this stuff now, like, what if I don't remember that conversation? Like, what if I don't remember that last thing she said to me when she walked up to her bedroom? And so, like, that's how I kind of processed it. I just immediately started writing everything down. Well, you know, I guess in some ways, I mean, not to to be Pollyannish about it, as tragic as, as Carrie's death was. I mean, what a gift that you got to work with her and get to know her and, yeah. you know, and spend time with her. Yeah. But it is, it's so heartbreaking because I watched that documentary about her. I couldn't oh, with watch her mother. it. And yeah. with, with Debbie Reynolds. And I think you're right. It was such a unique sort of situation. And they're living right next door to her mom and the— you can understand how crazy-making that whole scene was. And the fact that Carrie Fisher survived and in some ways thrived despite these kind of, this very uh, sort of high-octane, in-the-spotlight Hollywood Mm. existence, I think is pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. I haven't watched it yet. I think because it came out not too long after her death, and I was like, I just don't think I can. Because she was so, and also we were editing the third season when it happened, so we were like seeing her every every day, and she's so alive on screen. And then I thought, I can't watch it, but I definitely will at some point. It's very much worth watching Mm. for her and for Debbie. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk to you, Sharon, about sort of how you got into this crazy business, your <laughs> your sort of Irish 
heritage or faux Irish heritage, <laughs> My right? Faux Irish heritage. <laughs> yeah, it is and, a bit semi Irish heritage. And about your, your work with Sarah Jessica Parker, which a lot of our listeners will be interested in. So we'll be back with more from Sharon right after this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Remember, we love hearing from you listeners, listeners like Julia Lopez, who wrote this to us. Take it away, Katie. I enjoy the show so much, I even considered offering my services as the lighty to your barefoot Contessa. That's very sweet of you, Julia. Thank you so much. And for everyone else, Lighty is Ina Garten's assistant who was featured in the interview we taped in Ina's Kitchen. Julia also wrote, I would be remiss if I did not mention that Katie's singing, oh, I love this, Julia, is one of the highlights of the show. Well, for some of us. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm going to keep those hits coming. We also heard recently from an Irish listener Gosh, we're so international, Brian. Name Thomas. Why don't you read that one and try not to do it with an Irish accent? <laughs> oh, damn, I was about to. Sure thing. Thomas writes, I have to say that the Trump era has somewhat changed the image of your country to the rest of the world. The guests on your podcast, however, remind us of the great forward-thinking minds that still originate from America. And listening to your show, I became a lot more optimistic about the future ahead. By the way, Thomas also wrote... P.S. Come on a world tour and visit us sometime. Kind of the Irish version of Mae West, this Thomas. <laughs> hey, we didn't make it all the way to Ireland this time, but hopefully 
you'll be enjoying these London episodes. Remember, if you want to drop us a line, you can email us at comments at currickpodcast.com or call and leave a message at 929-224-4637. The messages really mean a lot to us, and we try to read and listen to all of them. So please keep them coming, people. And now back to our conversation with Sharon Horgan. Sharon, you talked about the difference a little bit between British and American humor. And mm-hmm. there's this great quote in a New Yorker profile of you that UK sitcoms tend to be darker than American ones, encouraged by a powerful public broadcasting system whose aim is to serve the varying taste of taxpayers, not the upbeat preferences of advertisers, and by a national psyche fixated on the immutability of the class system, not on a dream of self-improvement. Americans believe that things will get better. Brits laugh at how things stay the same. Do you think that's right? <laughs> um yeah, I mean, I guess essentially. I mean, I, I I think the the game sort of changes and is changing all the time because I think there's a huge difference between what you see on a on a network TV channel, you know, on an NBC or ABC, and what you know goes out on Amazon or HBO. And but yeah, I mean, when, when I was initially working over there m- making pilots, it I found it hard to sort of tell the stories I wanted to tell because it felt like there always had to be a kind of moral at the end. You know, there had to be a kind of rosy ending. And we never felt the need to do that here. And I think all of the most famous and successful sitcoms were very happy to have um, an unlikable hero at the heart of it and you don't have to be successful you know you don't have to be good at your job <laughs> it didn't feel like on UK TV you needed to to do any of those um those things people perceive class differently and and whether the future is always going to be better differently yeah i don't know i mean the class thing i mean you can't really mention Roseanne now can you but yes, um, you can. Oh. Oh, can you well it's yes. just that back in the day that was the sitcom that sort of inspired me to to want to write um, sitcom you know i mean I, out of the the um the us sitcoms because it was a working class family and it did kind of allow you to you know, laugh with them, but, you know, be sad with them. And um, it wasn't aspirational, but, you know, you kind of wanted to spend time with them. And, I mean, that doesn't seem to be something that you saw that regularly on on US TV. It felt kind of unusual. Um, I mean, I don't know. I only read (laughs) on Twitter what's happened to that. um, Yeah, so, I mean, you've read on Twitter and you've pretty much have the story then because it yeah. all started on Twitter. And when when you read about that, did you think ay 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 or what what was your reaction? Um well, oh god, I mean I guess it was it, it felt like absolute fair dues that they canceled it because I mean that's an impossible situation to be put in, isn't it? I mean, what a disaster. But um I just find her such a a difficult character to get my head around. I I actually just found myself wondering what the dynamic was, you know, in in the writer's room and on set and, you know, how that that worked, how involved, you know, was she or, you know, in terms of storylines and 
But um, yeah, I mean, I just didn't see what else they could have done. They were in a, they couldn't win. You know, I wanted to ask you, uh, just because it happened so quickly after Roseanne, Samantha B got in a bit of hot water, and I'm curious if you read about that. <laughs> yes. Yes. When she, you know, sometimes people are busy and they're not as addicted to social media <laughs> as some of us. Oh. But, you know, uh, Samantha B, who we've had on this podcast, who I've gotten who to know. Who was lovely, didn't um, seem unhinged at all. Uh, well, she's the opposite of unhinged. I think she's, I, I mean, I absolutely love her show and I love her. And I think she's a really smart, brave woman. And I think she's a great mouthpiece for, you know, American females to have there. I think she's, you know, angry and she should be. I don't know. I think we have a different relationship with that word here. You know, I mean, we kind of bandy it about like. (laughs) um, I I wanted to ask you about that because I read a column that was uh, a bunch of uh, journalists from The New York Times and Barry Weiss, who's a columnist for The Times, talked about how she dated somebody here and how this word is a lot less incendiary, that word, in in the UK than it is in America. Because in America, it is like... (gasps) Horrifying. Yeah, but that's also kind of ridiculous because it's such an insane double standard. You know, it's such an insane double standard that some words are considered that bad, but other words are kind of, you know, glossed over. I mean, particularly just from the American right, you know. I mean, their their insane anger over that just doesn't just doesn't ring true to me in any way. It's a crazy time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, here it's we are talking time. about the c word, talking about all this stuff that's going on, and uh, it's hard to keep up with it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think it's interesting how um, comedy is sort of dealing with it you know how how much comedy is sort of taken it on everything is feels so fraught yeah. doesn't it like a landmine that's it yeah. and it's still shocking every time you hear one of these things break but i'm going to do an awkward transition here oh, okay. and ask you a little bit about your biography okay um so you were born here in britain your dad owned a pub which is i don't know stereotypical but still kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you actually moved to a turkey farm in ireland when you were really little mm-hmm. so do you consider yourself british or irish or some combination of the two well no i i consider myself um irish um but i also kind of consider myself um a londoner i suppose cuz it's one of those cities that you kind of feels part of you, I guess, like New Yorkers feel. Um, I, I moved to Ireland when I was really little and my mum's Irish. She met my dad in London. That's why, you know, I was kind of born here. Um, you know, my brothers and sisters are Irish because they were all born there except for my older sister. And uh, I don't know, I guess it, it's it's one of those countries that kind of, you know, it's just in your blood. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, I've got a kind of ridiculous accent now that isn't really, I have to tell you, not very Irish at all. I was going to say, what is it? It's just a mess. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 25 years of living in London and then occasionally hopping back to Ireland and, you know, inhaling some of the accent just to, you know, at least get the vowels right. Do you find you slip into, you know, talking with much more of an Irish accent when you go home or when yeah, you go back to Ireland. Yeah, I do. But then it, it's almost more ridiculous in a way because it's like I'm trying to be one of the gang. So t- so t- talk to me in your sort of typical <laughs> Irish accent. I'm not going to do that, Katie. <laughs> oh, come on. Because it'll sound like a cod Irish accent. And then I won't get any work 
saying yeah, Irish I'm people. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, did you always want to be an actress from the time you were young, or when did you get bitten by the bug? Oh, I, I mean, kind of mid-teens, I think. I, I wanted to um, go to art college, I mean, way before I, I, you know, decided that I wanted to be an actor. I don't know, I'm not sure where that came from just you know I come from a a large Irish family so um, you know the attention seeking must be part of it but <laughs> how no, many kids in your family uh, there's five of us ah um, Not, that's kind of small. Yeah, I mean, that's I medium guess, size I guess. maybe still yeah. it's you know it's hard to fight your way <laughs> fight your way to the top of that one um but yeah, I I don't know where the acting thing came from because you know like you said turkey farm it's not the first sort of, I mean, who did I think I was kind of thing. <laughs> How good were you at plucking the turkeys? I was, I was pretty okay. Yeah, uh-huh. I made Could my you living. still pluck a turkey? I would not want to. Yeah. Um, it's a revolting. <laughs> really? It's horrible? <laughs> job. Yes. Yes. It's vile. I made a little short um, film about it a few years back. You did? What's it yeah. called? Um, it's called The Week Before Christmas because uh, gr- growing up on a turkey farm, you know, it was all about it was all about Christmas and it was a crazy time of year. And we as kids kind of, you know, just had to had to deal with it, um, had to deal with the craziness of it. But there was like within, within all those years, there was some kind of interesting stories that I kind of kind of condensed into one kind of 15-minute short film. It's See, kind of a love letter We're going to have family. to check that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll send it to you. <laughs> so it didn't really work out initially for you in terms of no, acting, right? No. I mean, you couldn't get arrested, basically, no, Sharon. that's true. <laughs> that's I hate true. to remind you of yeah. this sad chapter in your past. <laughs> it was but a it really all worked sad out. It all worked out. But you were working, I guess, at, a, at an employment center in London mm-hmm. while you were pursuing an acting career, mm-hmm. not particularly successfully at the time. And then you kind of had a holy shit moment, literally, right? Mm-hmm. And you said... I'm out of here. Yeah. What happened? What was my holy shit moment? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I was working in a job center, an employment service center for six years. Um, you know, that wasn't good. I, I was, <laughs> you know, I was kind of doing the odd play above pubs, you know, a bit of fringe theater, but really, you know, not not getting anywhere. And I And I think not trying really, because if I tried, I might get it and then fail, you know, so it's, I mean, I'm guessing that that's what it was, because uh, I can't think of a better reason. But yeah, I was um, asked by my office manager one day if I'd clean up at the front of the building. And um, I went, I was like, first of all, I was like, why are you asking me to clean up? But anyway, um, I went out the front of the building and uh, there was, yeah, there was a human turd. On the pavement, <laughs> and I just sort of. What? I don't know, How did you know it was human? By the way, it's it's pretty obvious, Katie. Well, when, couldn't when, it have been a big dog? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it could have been. I guess it could have been. I a don't very know. Big I live dog. in New York, Sharon. I see this uh, happen frequently with big dogs, and I'm just like, holy moly! Wow. Do you yell know. at people? Where's your bag? No, this... I do actually. If yeah, I see I, people I not that. clean up after their yeah. dog, I say, "Squeeze me, hello." <laughs> you actually say, "Squeeze me." Yeah, no, but I do call them out. But anyway, so you said. Yeah, I just I just went back in and then I handed in my notice and I left and I, and I I went to university. I went I went and um, applied to do a degree in English and part of my degree was creative writing and that's kind of what got me writing um, creatively. Creatively, <laughs> <laughs> and just to fast forward, you met Dennis Kelly. Uh, 
in a pub of all places. You yeah. meet people in the strange places, Sharon. You all teamed up and you created the aforementioned show, Pulling. Uh-huh. I'm afraid to ask where that name came from, by the way. Well, you know what it means, right? I don't. Oh, oh well, pulling over here is just like going out to get yourself, a, you know, a guy or a girl. It's it's like going out specifically so to— So use it in a sentence for me. Um, uh, did you pull anyone the other night? Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got really lucky. I, I pulled a really, a really good-looking lad. I mean, that's that's all it is. It's, Does that it's mean, based. like, hooked up or nailed? It what means, does that mean? It means hooked up. Uh-huh. I mean, it could be you could pull someone and it's just like a bit of making out or you could pull someone and, you know, you go home with them. I mean, it, there's a whole, there's a range. There's a range of pulling. Yeah. Thank you. I feel yeah. so much smarter now, Sharon, <laughs> for knowing that. Yeah, so that's but, where it came from. And that became a cult hit. And that was sort of about your life in your 20s. Yeah. yeah. Well, mine and Dennis Kelly's life um, completely because we both, you know, we were both on sort of wrong paths. Um, and yet we both, you know, found ourselves living, you know, in the capital city, living in London <clears throat> with no money, you know, with not many prospects in bad relationships, doing jobs we we didn't like. and But, you know, living in London and sort of seeing that there was something much better <laughs> over there, you know, that someone else was having and... So yeah, it was kind of it's kind of about that time. It's about that sort of difficult time where you're you realize you're definitely not a kid anymore, but you definitely don't have the skills to to be a proper grown up. So when that show came out, you were also either pregnant or you just had a baby. Yeah, your daughter. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> the so one that's, that's waiting for you. <laughs> but you remember said. her. <laughs> She's okay. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you said it was the making of me. It gave me a different work ethic. So how did having a baby make you and change you? Um, just focus, I guess. Just um I really liked being a mom, like way more than I thought I'd like it. I really like babies and I wanted to hang out with her. And so if I was going to work, I just had to make sure that the time I was away from her was used really productively and wisely. So it just made me, you know, someone would come in to look after her. Obviously, I just didn't, like, leave her in a corner. You didn't leave the dog door open. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, I would just sit down at my desk and work solidly for those hours while I while I had a childminder. And, and that was the kind of, that's what kind of Is that the term for me. babysitter here? Childminder? Childminder, yeah. Or you can say babysitter. Babysitter kind of implies something you do in the evening. You know, like a teenage girl. Babysitter yeah. is more fun. Uh-huh. Yeah. Babysitter is more fun. So <laughs> I, I'm a relatively I, new parent. Uh. And uh, this is something I struggle with. People, I think a lot of people just talk about this in the context of women, but it affects men too. Sort of work-life balance. When you're at work, you feel guilty for being with your kid. When you're with your kid, you feel guilty for not working. How, how have you dealt with all of that? Because you've seemed to manage both pretty well. Oh. How do you know that? What? How do you know that? <laughs> well, my children are still alive. The parents well. manage both very well. Well, her kids seem to like her some of the time, <laughs> and her professional life is going really well. So I don't know. I was making a bit of an assumption. Yeah, and yeah, you you did, but that's okay. I is that a correct uh, assumption or an incorrect assumption? I don't know. I I think I've gotten better at it over the years. Um, I think back in the day, it used to stress me out um, horribly. Um, guilt was massive. But then I sort of realized, you know, they've turned out pretty well. 
They're both really nice girls. We, you know, we all like each other. I mean, I've, I've, it's nothing terrible has happened, you know, and I'm definitely, I definitely give myself less of a hard time than I used to because, I mean, I guess I figured out what was the point of it. And I, and I think, I don't know, I, I think you have to stop giving yourself a hard time before you can stop sort of giving other women a hard time as well. I mean, I, totally agree. I, I, I think it's really, um, easy to, uh, I don't know, just to go out and say that you're supportive of, of women in this industry and, you know, what should be happening and, you know, but it's actually, it's really important when a woman turns around and says to you, um, you know, God, I had to go away for, you know, a week or a month or whatever it was. And, and instead of going, oh God, did the kids miss you? Just go, you know, no, good for you. How are you? You know, you're yeah. right. You need a drink. Yes. <laughs> you know, and 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 I'm I'm just I don't know. I think it's really important to um give give each other a break, and also give yourself a break. Yeah. I just didn't feel that guilty, and I was a single mom mm. uh, for most of my children's lives, and I feel like working and being out in the world made them proud of me, and also made them more independent. I think sometimes. You know, you spend too much time worrying and hovering. And I was so excited when I went back to work after Ellie was born. <laughs> I was like, I, I got to go. Because I had this nasty green velour bathrobe, and I was trying to use this friggin' breast pump, and it was such a nightmare. I could not wait to get out of there. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, I— Is wouldn't... that really bad? Am I going to— I'm not judging you. Are people going to think no, terrible, they terrible won't. things and they, about me? And they shouldn't. The thing is, is when I get in in the evening— I mean, it's different when I'm filming because you finish really late, especially when you come and do um, podcasts after you've finished filming. <laughs> Have we apologized <laughs> but, enough to you? No, but what normally, writing, I, you know, finish at a decent time, I get home— for supper, we have supper together, like, you know, read stories, That's hang so out. important, I think, having dinner together. Yeah, and, and, and uh, I mean, obviously not always, but as much as we can. But, like, I think when I'm when I'm having that time with my kids, I think, what would I do if I got home, like, two hours earlier? I mean, I would just, I would be a less good mother because I would be less, you know, on it or fun or, you know, less focused on them. I, I honestly wouldn't know how to use the extra time, and and that's the truth. I think the bottom line is people have to do what's right for them. You know, I respect women who want to stay home and men who want to stay home, which we're seeing an increasing yeah, number of men. But, but and also there's a lot of women who can't, they don't have that choice. Exactly. It's not like I can afford, you know, you they have to go out to work. So for them, those women especially, it's not about choice. So absolutely. We have to support them. Completely. I agree. So, and if, and, and if you... I was trying to come up with a cute segue to divorce, but that just isn't working. Um, <laughs> um, um, you teamed up with Sarah Jessica Parker for uh, on HBO for her show, Divorce. I know she hadn't done a TV show since Sex and the City. Were you a big fan, by the way, of yes. Sex and the City? Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I've watched every episode like five times, except for the Funky Spunk one, which I inadvertently <laughs> watched with my 8-year-old and 12-year-old at the time. Uh-huh. My, my daughters basically learned about the birds and the bees from Sex and the City. City. That was well, very brave ways of me, to learn right? It. <laughs> how did you how did you pull Sarah Jessica how did Parker? I pull her? Well, well, we were set up by HBO. I'd written some scripts for HBO that hadn't got picked up, and I was developing something else with them. And at that time, she had uh, just begun through her company, pretty much as you know, developing something, trying to find something. 
And um, HBO just suggested that we might like to meet. And I think she'd she'd read a couple of my scripts. She hadn't seen anything I'd done. And so they um, flew me over to New York to meet her. And we had lunch and talked about, you know, what TV she liked and, you know, what stories we wanted to tell. And then it kind of um, came from there. The show is about the unraveling of a relationship, a show that, quote, stays mired in the angry muck, according to The New Yorker. It's also about the divorce industry and I think the collateral damage, right, that happens when a couple gets divorced. Uh, Clearly, it's not based on your life experiences so far, and we hope it never is. But why did you want to go there? What interested you in the dissolution of a marriage? Well, I mean, Sarah Jessica was wanting to uh, make a show about a a long-term relationship that was, you know, in crisis. I mean, that's what she was looking for anyway. And a friend of mine had recently gotten divorced, and... You know, I guess how she talked about it, um, those sort of stories stayed with me. And I, I just, you know, watched The War of the Roses and um, and a few other things that sort of, you know, in, in inspired that as a sort of a good route for um, telling the story of that relationship. Because, you know, they're at the beginning of the end of a very long-term relationship. And, you know, the kind of, uh, that sort of, idea of who are they now I mean when you leave that behind that that marriage has been part of your life and your psyche for so long that you know kind of what happens when when you when you separate that and like you said I thought it would be interesting to show the industry um, around that and how that sort of you know how people you know they're they're not just battling an ex they're battling all the people that surround them who are basically feeding off their um, the carcass of of their marriage and and not just the industry but the friends that's you know that are there as well friends who've either been through a divorce or you know are in a bad relationship and want one you know the kind of the influences that those two people you know have and I started reading about divorce stories, reading about the really long-term ones that just go on and on and on and start out not horribly but end up so acrimonious because they're, you know, fighting about stuff that they just shouldn't be fighting about just to to punish each other. And I don't know, it just felt like... um, it felt like a sort of story area that had a lot of possibilities. And that resonates with at least 50% of the well, population, yeah, right? We have a clip of uh, a scene from divorce. Let's take a listen to that. I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. <laughs> oh, God, Robert. I'm sorry. Oh, Robert. I... You should have eaten so much cheese. Uh... Listen, Robert. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing me? Jeez, I heard you. Sir, can I get your full name and contact wait, can information? You just, I'm sorry, can you just wait one second, please? Can you just hang on? Robert, listen to me. Listen, we don't have to make this horrible, all right? I don't want it to be horrible. <laughs> oh, oh uh, Right on his bird. I'm sorry. He had a lot of fondue. <laughs> <laughs> Those are two pretty special actors with yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker and Thomas Hayden Church, They're and amazing. they each have three names. What up with that? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Has it been fun to work with them? I mean, it was an amazing experience. I mean, they're amazing to watch them, and sometimes I would sit at the monitor and kind of forget that I was at work and think I was, you know, 
watching TV um, because it was very surreal, you know, it was very surreal for me and um, kind of um, overpowering. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, I went, I went to New York and I stayed there for five months. That is not uh, a good or easy thing to do when you have a family, even if you're sort of flying back and forth and it was tricky, but I loved it. I loved the show that came out of it. Um, I was very uninvolved in the second season. Um, I just got to sort of read scripts, you know, at the very beginning. And so it's kind of sort of gone off and taken um, a life of its own. And um, it's still like, it's still a kind of surreal kind of pinch myself kind of moment that I got to got to do that. And when you hear Thomas Hayden Church vomiting just now, it just must just <laughs> send well, chills it just up makes your spine. Because that was the pilot. And it was, I mean, it was an amazing experience, but it's, pilots are hardcore stress just getting all that story told in, in such a short um, period of time. So everything that was going through my head was just what was happening in the in the next room at that time and he was waiting to go on and how behind we were or, you know, that kind of stuff. You are now working on another show called Motherland, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and can you tell us briefly about that? Yeah. Well, Motherland is, um, it's, it's about... Um, well, it's about mothers essentially, but there, there's a there's a father in there as well. But it's a it's a kind of about that idea that um, <laughs> it's like being with a bunch of people, and the only reason why you're with them is because you know you have something in common, and that thing that you have in common is that you all happen to give birth um, around at the, the same, same time. time. Yeah, I mean, it's about kids, obviously, but like catastrophe, it's much more about how those parents are just coping. And it's about, I guess, the kind of friendships that you build. It's, it's about the, the kind of world that you create to help you cope and help you get through the day. So, um, How's it going? Yeah, I mean, we, we, our first season um, came out over here um, at the end of last year. So, and it's just um, started on Sundance in, in the U.S. And, yeah, the streaming I mean, Sundance yeah. channel, right? Yeah. I was uh, interested to know what a U.S. audience would make of it because, really, they are you know they they're they're not <laughs> they're not sunny characters you know they've got they are super flawed, tricky, difficult at times um, people sound like my kind of women. Yeah, well, I, I hope so. I mean, I hope so. It's just that there isn't that like with catastrophe. There's kind of a sweet kind of underbelly to it. Um, but with Motherland, there is no such underbelly. <laughs> we know you have to leave, uh, but I just wanted to ask you a couple quick questions about current affairs. I was curious that someone raised in Ireland what your reaction was to the vote that overturned the ban on abortion there. Were you surprised? I, I was surprised at the landslide nature of it. I think that was the thing that blew everyone's um, mind. I mean, for, we all thought it was going to be such a close call. And um, it's thanks to the sort of ground movement of the women of that country because really um, the Yes campaign, they, they just went out and they knocked on doors and they it was such a, it was such a positive, lovely campaign um, that they ran. They put the, the groundwork in and um, and I guess people listened and, and I think everyone's feeling was... 
so just so proud of the country and just so proud of the the country that it has become and and the fact that you know women were finally listened to and those um stories were heard and like some of these women have just been fighting for that for for years and I mean, it, it was a difficult time because there was a lot of really desperate, sad, sad stories coming out of it. So it was emotional, you know, it was a very emotional campaign. But, um, you know, I mean, the absolute right decision was made. And, and I think it's just going to impact on the country in such a positive, beautiful way. Speaking of movements, I'm curious if Me Too has kind of reverberated here in the UK, it's something that has really captured the imagination yeah, of so yeah. many people in the States. And are you all experiencing a similar movement or is it not caught fire here as it has in, in the United States? I mean, it it's, has absolutely had um, an impact here in, the, in that people are talking about um, <laughs> the issue of inequality um, and, and sexism within the industry. But I mean, a lot of it is kind of focusing on for example, there's um sort of 50-50 campaign about actresses having, you know, equal screen time. There's an absolutely terrible statistic that I unfortunately can't give you of how much time um, females spend on screen compared to, oh, no. to males. G- and the Gina, Gina Davis Institute did a whole yeah. big study on this. I mean, and from, not only from, speaking, but appearing. Yes. And, and of course, from roles kid behind shows, the scenes. From kids shows kind of right the way through. They're just horribly underrepresented. So that that's quite... Um, a big movement here and obviously you know pay equality because um, you know um, recently people had to be very transparent about well, what people were earning. Well the government demanded it right? Yeah. I mean I, I thought it was so interesting to learn that the government insisted that across industries whether yeah. it's supermarket chains or the BBC yeah. you had to make public your salaries. Yeah. I mean and what you were paying <laughs> people and it was shocking. Yes and there's a, a lot of very um, angry um, women out there and, and it's and it's great and I mean the fact that it that it is so visible here it feels like it's having a huge impact on you know the industry TV industry and and film but also commercials um, exactly the same there's lots and lots of positive um, movement forward to sort of change the it's situation. It's exciting in your view. It's really exciting. It's really exciting. And and it's not bullshit either. It's not just about, I mean, not that pinning on a badge is bullshit. It's not because it's really important to be visible and it's important for your role models to get out there and, and say that, you know, they're backing this and they're behind it. But it, it's it's not just talk. It really feels like there's something changing. And, you know, as a woman working in this industry and as someone who, who runs a, a company with another woman, you really are able to get in and sort of grassroots kind of change it. But you have to be prepared to put the work in. You know, you you really have to be prepared to put your money where your mouth is and... and and you not know, let up either. You know? Exactly. You can. It's not, it's not like, oh, we've done our bit, you know. Um, it's it really is a, a constant kind of um, battle. And so, yeah, I hope it continues. I hope we continue being a pain in people's arses for a long time because that's the only way it's going to, you know, effectively make a big difference. So finally, finally, um, I want to ask you about Brexit because it was the subject of a very funny joke in one of your episodes <laughs> yeah. in Catastrophe. There's a bit more of it in the new season, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, we've I'm got, excited yeah, for we've got, so we've gotten a little bit more political this season. I mean, you know, here and there, because it's not, that's not what the show's about, but it, 
impacts everyone's lives. It's great lives, to find the it? humor in Brexit, isn't yeah. it? Well, yes. I don't want to give anything away, but it is a very, very funny joke. But um, I feel like Brexit and Trump are part of the same phenomenon of rising populism and being against the establishment, against the experts. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it's fear, isn't it? It's like fear of... Of change, the, fear of the other though as well. You know, like who's coming immigration to take our jobs? Played a big role in both yeah, cases. Yeah, massive, massive role. I mean, it was a, it was a huge. I mean, it was a huge fear mongering campaign that you know, if you didn't vote for this, then basically we're going to be inundated with immigrants, and they were going to come and take your job and sort of <laughs> burn your villages to the ground. And um, yeah, I mean. I think if the same vote was held now, I think it would have a completely different um, impact anyway because it's such a mess. It's such a mess. Well, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible note. Know. That is that's a terrible right. note. But I mean. But that's, the, you know, that's our world. It's such a mess. Maybe the story of our times. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to let you get home to your daughters and okay. your husband because uh, I don't want there to be hell to pay. <laughs> and why is she mad at you just out of curiosity? Oh, because she's got a, she's got a chemistry test tomorrow and she hates chemistry. And I think if I was there, it might be easier for, tell, for her to tell me to my face how much she hates chemistry. That's it. <laughs> well, that's something to look forward <laughs> yeah, to, I'm Sharon. So excited. <laughs> yeah. I'm really anyway, excited. it's such a it's such a treat to meet you and to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing Same. this because I know uh, it was a long day <laughs> and uh, we really, really appreciate it. And we're both big admirers of yours and wish you continued success. Well, thank you very in much. In everything you do. I appreciate it. It's lovely to meet you. Brian, I thought Sharon was really nice and really fun to listen to. And I just love her accent. What can I say? She had me at hello or cheerio. But I really uh, actually related to her feeling guilty about her daughter because it took me back to the days of sitting on the sofa and helping Carrie study for a test and getting all anxious. And at 14, I'm sure her daughter's a little stressed out. And I hate chemistry, too. Well, my daughter loves chemistry. You know, she's 19 months. She's totally into it. She's brilliant. <laughs> she's already memorized the periodic table. Oh, of course. You mean yours haven't? <laughs> but you enjoyed Sharon, didn't you? I had a great time. And one thing that inspired me was that, you know, she didn't have her first big hit until she was 36 years old. And it reminded me of the old quote that it took her 10 years to become an overnight sensation. And she's worked really hard and done a million things. And in the end, it all worked out for her. And so I think that's a good message, a hopeful one for everyone listening. I think she's also just very insightful about the human condition, you know, and and really fascinated by what makes people tick and how they react and behave in all kinds of situations. And I think because of that, her work is really relatable. And I don't know, I have a very similar sense of humor. I'm just not that funny. You're a really bleak, dark person. That's how everybody <laughs> perceives you. This yeah. is the real Katie. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Sunshine is actually super dark. Exactly. <laughs> so we want to thank the BBC again for bringing us across the pond and to Lee at Silk Sound for recording tonight's episode. Yes, it is very late at this point. Our usual tip of the hat to our Stitcher squad, Gianna Palmer, Nora Ritchie, and Jared O'Connell. 
And thank you to Katie's enormous team over at Katie Couric Media. <laughs> it's they, enormous. <laughs> they they pumice a your, cast of thousands. <laughs> what, you know, they brush your hair, they pumice your feet. It, it's incredible. They also develop some media. Beth Demaz, Emily Bina, and Allison Bresnick. You three are fantastic. Katie and I are the executive producers of the show. Mark Phillips wrote our theme music. And hey, if you haven't already, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our show wherever you listen. It really helps others to find it. Well, that's all, folks, and we'll talk to you next week. Biddy That's all, folks. Thanks for listening. Later! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.